You know, during the worship, I, I realized this, you know, <coughs> we are all in different places when we come to worship, you know. Some we are burdened, and there's, there's the things that are carrying on us. Others are in different places looking at trajectory. That's the joy of it all, is that we come here and we encourage one another. We don't, we don't come here and uh, judge and look at others. Look at this person, forever struggling, forever doing that, and I'm always like shining. No, it's the point is that we encourage one another. Yeah, you know, and the, the thing that I thought during the worship to your Christianity is not measured by one weekend of being at church. You know, you can come for two, three weeks and be all emotional, it's all exciting, and then disappear for six months. Your, your life with God is measured over years. Years and years and years measures your consistency. And the point of that, why it needs to be like that, because it's not emotional then. We all make decisions on emotions. And we're all like, yeah, when it's all emotional, we all make this, yeah, that's all in the right direction. But when you're not feeling it, and you still do it, there's the difference. And that builds strength. That builds a tenacity to keep going, keep believing. Don't feeling the best, I still come and worship. I still come and hear the word of God. I still stand with people. That's the point of gathering together. That's not about on my terms and enjoying this. This is the beauty of that. Your, the measure of your walk with God is over years. And you think of a man like Dave, who for years and years and years and years, his measure is now according to how he lived through the word of God and stuff. And now we can celebrate. And we're sad that he's gone but we look back on a, an incredible life that honored God. That's the measure, folks. Not just a few weeks here and there, and I'll do a little my best here. Anyway, that's just my little add to what we had in worship this morning and stuff. So last week was a tough sermon. I, uh, I don't think I've ever felt that tired after a sermon, ever. Shucks, I think you were also exhausted. I think you all, like, all went at home and had a little bit of a sleep. You know? But we had to cover the ground. It was tough stuff to cover. And we had to cover that, kind of walking through all these things and that together. So essentially, we've kind of kept covered the book of Daniel. But I encourage you, read through that book now, from beginning to end, with fresh ears, fresh eyes, that you read through and understand the things that we've spoken through over the last few weeks, okay? Now, as we're coming to the end, I'm going to use today to speak essentially into the thing of the Antichrist and the context of where it comes from. But what I realized during this week and I've been reading this stuff for months. I've been indulging this stuff. I almost feel like I want to stop reading the Antichrist and Rome and Islam. I actually just want to leave it behind and just go to the New Testament and read other great stuff. It's like, and I think the way we've done this in kind of sections has been graspable. If we stuck to this and just went week after week and week and plowed, we would all get very tired. And it's good realizing that we need to go through phases in the life of the church where you are specifically taught stuff Straight out the word, and it's, it's not necessarily prophetic, it's just teaching. Okay, that's a good balance of a diet. Yes, we love our prophetic flow, and we flow, and we always teach what's on God's heart here. But like this stuff, there's seasons we've just got to, we've got to hit the hard stuff. And it's difficult at times, because it's not all kind of flowing, it's not always the easiest. It's actually easier to prepare sermons like this. Because I know exactly what I'm going to say. It's the others where I'm saying, oh Jesus, and now what? Sitting there on Sunday morning, help me Lord, I need a word. I haven't done that for a while, and that's far more exciting for me to sit there and just be on the, on the pulse on the edge with what God is saying and doing. But we've got to cover these grounds, okay? So don't switch off going, oh, here we go again. This stuff will build into you. And the people ask you questions like, how do we know? And you're like, wait, I've, I've, I've heard stuff about this and referencing it, and it builds into your heart with a context and understanding of what to do. So today we're going to talk a little bit into the Antichrist and the essential meaning of that word. We know Antichrist means against Christ, everything opposed to who Christ is and who he was as a person. So when we go through the Bible and you read different words and kind of stuff, these terms are often used speaking about the Antichrist. It's references in Daniel's um, uh, vision about the little horn in Daniel 7 that came up. It speaks about the man of perdition, the one of lawlessness, the outlaw, the destructive son. These are words that are all used in, in, in ref uh, reference to the Antichrist. Okay, and we're going to cover this today, but what I did realize I was saying to you is that this is a very broad conversation. I literally, it's impossible for me to cover it in one sermon. I, I can't. So we're going to start, but we'll pick it up next time when we pick this up again and keep going through this journey. And essentially what we're going to do today is understand a little bit more about when Daniel speaks about the fourth kingdom. There was the fourth part of the statue. There was the fourth beast that came up. And the name 
was never referenced, was never given in the Word of God of which empire this was. We knew it was Babylon, we knew it was Media Persia, uh, Medo-Persian, and we knew it was Greece. They were all referenced and said in the Bible, nowhere does it actually say the fourth kingdom was, which I love the way the Lord does stuff because He leaves it open for everybody to try and understand. That's why when it says people will run to and fro looking and trying to understand and, and will increase in knowledge, this is what we're doing. We're going back and forth trying to understand these prophecies and it's not trying to be right, it's trying to give reference and understanding to what the Word is telling us here. And the problem is that if I come across to you as if I'm right and this is the way it needs to be, we're in trouble. Okay, I'm saying these things for you to go and weigh them and measure them and go and study and come back. I think next year what I'm going to do is I'm going to run a, a pattern of a few Wednesday nights in a row where we're just going to talk end times and you're going to come. We're just going to have discussions as a group. It's going to be a lot better to kind of talk about it. Here's really one-way traffic, me talking to you guys. And by tackling the fourth kingdom, here comes the challenge. Is it Rome or is it going to be Islam that's arisen or, or, or was the fourth kingdom that makes reference to? This is the big argument of which one it is, Rome or Islam, okay? But firstly, we need to agree on the actual Antichrist being an actual person, okay? It's, it's referencing to not just there's the spirit of the Antichrist, but it speaks about an actual person that will arise and, 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 and stand in this time. So the passages that we've looked back upon and we're going to look back this morning, okay, if we've, we've been through the whole of Daniel, we can see the umpteen times it speaks about in reference to this person that will arise, the main part being Daniel 11:36 onwards that literally speaks about the Antichrist in the final seven years that will come, the characteristics around who this person is, and we're understanding the foreshadowing of Antiochus Epiphanes was that of the Antichrist. Okay, so other passages we're going to look at today, it is passages in Thessalonians, yea, the New Testament, <laughs> to read a bit of that, and then also in 1 John 2, he references things of Antichrist. We're going to read those this morning, but we're going to go through those. Okay, so we're going to start in 2 Thessalonians 2, 1 to 5, and this is again from the Passion translation. Okay, now this is Paul writing to the Thessalonians, explaining to them all his different teachings, and this is part of what he's been speaking to them about. Okay, so now regarding the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to Him, we plead with you, beloved friends, not to be easily confused or disturbed in your minds by any kind of spirit, rumor, or letter allegedly from us claiming that the day of the Lord has already come. So that even in those days, there was speculation, there was conspiracies, all sorts of things played out. He was trying to bring order to the truth that is laid in front of them. Don't let anyone deceive you in any way. Helmet of salvation. Interesting, protecting thoughts and minds. Before that day comes, the rebellion must occur, and the outlaw, the destructive son, will be revealed in his true light. He is the opposing counterpart who exalts himself over everything that is called God or is worshipped and who sits enthroned in God's temple and makes himself out to be a God. Don't you remember that when I was with you, I went over all these things? So he's reiterating what I've already said to you, okay? So before we see this figure arrive, and it says there, okay, there will first be the, what's another word, the SV calls it the apostasy or the falling away. Before the day comes, the rebellion must occur. Okay, what is that making reference to? The rebellion, the apostasy, the falling away is basically a people that fall away to the truth that is laid in front of them. It's a rebellion against the truth. Okay, so it's a rebellion of an anti-Jesus spirit. So the falling away also refers to the church, where people's love will grow cold and they will not follow these truths anymore. I do not believe they will lose their salvation. It will be rewards that they will lose back on because the way they have lived here on earth according to what they will receive one day. They will still be accepted into the kingdom, but their reward will be different because they have they have not chosen to run and live with the truth. And you'll see what he says at the end of the next verse. Okay? The falling away. What are we living in today? The times we're living in today. So this means it's anti-truth. It's anti-church, his body. It's anti-Israel. 
and, all, uh, and along with us who are the bride of Christ. It's anti-submission, anti-marriage, anti-law, anti-authority. Everything that goes against the standards of the Word of God is anti-Christ. Okay, that's the spirit of Antichrist. If, if it's, that Jesus said to the, the, the people around him, he said that the spirit of Elijah must come first. Okay, and when he said the spirit of Elijah, he says, and then he explained to me, he's already come, meaning he's talking about John the Baptist. John the Baptist came in the same spirit of Elijah, like a prophet, like a voice to the nation. The spirit of the Antichrist is the spirit of a person that will arise, the Satan's agenda that is everything anti-Jesus. And we have to guard ourselves that we don't fall into the trap of believing the things that are anti what the, the Word of God and the, the standards that He said. Look at the church today. Look at the split that's happening over issues in, that are counter to the Word of God. It is anti-the church, anti-truth. That spirit is prevalent today in society. Okay, and we, again, we see here yeah, what he does is he exalts himself as a God. Okay, meaning that he rejects God and he rejects Jesus. Okay, as, the, as a savior and as a father to the people. Okay, next part. This is now continuing on from the same parts. He says, I was with you and I taught you these things. Now you are aware of the ruling power so that we may be fully revealed when his time comes. You are being equipped. You are being understood. Um, empowered to understand the read the signs for the mystery of lawlessness is already active like i've just said to you but the one who prevails will do so until he's separated from out of the midst then the outlaw will be openly revealed and the lord will overthrow him by the breath of his mouth and bring him to an end by the dazzling manifestation of his presence this is now talking about the second coming this is when Jesus returns and the Antichrist is risen. That's what he's going to do with the breath of his mouth, dazzling manifestation of his presence. The presence of the outlaw is apparent by the activity of Satan, who uses all kinds of counterfeit miracles. I've seen counterfeit miracles, signs, uh, spur spurious wonders, and every... Sorry, say it again. Spurious. Spurious wonders and every form of evil deception in order to deceive those who are perishing because they rejected the love of the truth that would lead them from being saved. Now he's not talking about those in the church. He's talking about those who will constantly reject the truth of Jesus and from being saved and called sons and daughters of the Most High God. Because of this, God sends them a powerful delusion that leads them to believe what is false. So then all who found their pleasure in unrighteousness and did not believe the truth will be judged. That is speaking about the return of Jesus. Judgment that will take place right at the end. Okay? So the Antichrist, as he said, will be revealed for all to see. Jesus in the second coming will come and destroy him with the, what says there, with the word, the breath of his mouth. <laughs> okay? If you read Isaiah 11, 4, it says, But with righteousness he shall judge the poor, and decide with equity for the meek of the earth, and he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. How you do that, I, only God can, because my mouth has never been able to, uh, it can hurt somebody's emotions and their heart, but I've never been able to kill someone with my words, okay, like physically. Take them out. But now you make reference to when it speaks about the, the breath and the mouth and the word of God speaking forth. When Moses was on the mountain with God receiving the, the, the Ten Commandments and God spoke to him in the cloud and the mountain and everyone trembled down below. Why? Because of the thunder, the lightning, the things that were playing out. Those terms of thunder and lightning is all reference that says to a voice. It, that's when God speaks, that's what happens. The power that comes forth and the order that he sets forth from his mouth. How exactly this is going to play out? Because he's going to have to eliminate the Antichrist and all the wicked that have chosen not to follow the truth. They've purposely chosen not to, and in their unrighteous ways, they will stand before judgment and the Almighty God. Okay? Paul confirms that the Antichrist's presence is the work of Satan. No one else. This is not just some UN scheme, some who scheme. Okay, this is the work of Satan, who was 
an archangel in the glories of heaven and pride entered his heart and he chose to oppose the things of God and has been in opposition to the things of God ever since and banished. And we live here in this environment with Jesus now. He's restored and set in order a war. He's trying to overthrow the things of the kingdom of God every day. We're in a war. Okay, the wicked, it says, will continue to fall into his trap and reject the truth and the need and the want to be saved. I've often, you know, you listen to different things and the arrogance of particularly, I'm saying about people in Hollywood, and I'll just think about this arrogance when it comes to death and afterlife, and so confident that they are assured that everything's going to be okay for them. And like, you don't have a clue. You don't have a clue. Because what you did here on earth, you, you're going to take nothing with you. And if it's not in line with honoring and humbling and submitting your life as a sacrifice before Jesus, it counts as nothing. Absolutely nothing before Him. You can have billions in the bank. You're going to stand before God. One to one. And now, what have you got to show for it? The arrogance of the world today against the truth of the Almighty God is more prevalent than I've ever noticed in my life before. Well, this success is very little. That's Paul speaking to the Thessalonians. Okay, now we're going to move to 1 John 2. Uh, let's read this passage here. Uh, dear children, this is now the Apostle John who had the same revelation of the book of Revelation or the revelation of Jesus in the final, okay? The last book of the Bible. Dear, dear children, the end of this age is near. He wrote that 2,000 years ago. That's living in expectation. You have heard that Antichrist is arising. And in fact, many enemies of Christ have already appeared. And this is how we know that we are living in the closing hour of this age. For even though they were once, they, once they were a part of us, they withdrew from us because they were never really of our number. For if they had truly belonged to us, they would have continued with us. By leaving our community of believers, they made it obvious that they never really belonged to us. Sure. I actually had the thought driving here this morning. The number of people, and, and I've been in this community for 30 years, the number of people that have come and gone over the years. You know, some, some choose to walk away and never really plug into a community again. Some, yes, life moves on. They move to different parts of the nation and the world. That happens. But the moving of people, but these, John's speaking about those, those that have chosen not to run with us, not to give their hearts, to walk in alignment with one another. They've chosen something else. And he says they were never really of our number anyway because their hearts weren't young. For if they had truly belonged to us, they would have continued with us. By leaving our community of believers, they made it obvious that they never really belonged to us. But the Holy One has anointed you, and you all know the truth. So I'm not writing to you now, I'm writing to the church, writing to you, not because you don't know the truth, but because you do know it, and no lie belongs to the truth. So John is referring to a separation, okay, splitting of people, breaking off and choosing their own thing. They weren't really part of them. Okay, the reality of being a set-apart people and becoming uh, more of a, is becoming more of a reality to us as the church in this hour. We are not part of this world. You can see we, are, we look peculiar to the world and the narrative and the way that things play out. Who wants to go and gather on a farm in Bloemfontein with a drive to see this nation changed? Really? But we are doing it because God is speaking. God, is, His Spirit is stirring the hearts of people in this country not to sit back and to see the change come that we can believe for a prosperous land. Yes, things will be more challenging. We get it. Those things will keep playing out. But there's this kingdom people arising, realizing we, we're different. We've been set apart. And when you get that revelation and that understanding, you're not going to try and be like the world and, be, and try and play to the world's schemes. We as the church, the ecclesia, set apart. Okay? as this world is constantly defying the truth. The anointing of the Holy Spirit will teach you, and I'll talk into this a bit more, to help you what? To discern truth. Okay, and he affirms that the Antichrist will both reject God and Jesus, and he encourages the believers um, to keep the flame burning bright in their hearts. Sorry, let me read the next section here. This is, he keeps going on now. Who is the real liar? But the one that denies Jesus is the Christ. He is the real Antichrist. 
the one who denies the Father and the Son. Whoever rejects the Son rejects the Father. Whoever embraces the Son embraces the Father also. So you must be sure to keep the message burning in your hearts. That is the message of life you heard from the beginning. So by coming to church, by being knitted into a community, you're keeping the flame burning bright in your hearts. You're not isolating yourself and trying your best and working hard in your own religion and your own stuff together. No, together, the set-apart people, we keep this flame burning because it's not easy. It's not challenging. Every day we have challenges, but we stand and hold firm by encouraging one another. Okay? If you do, you will always be living in close fellowship with the Son and with the Father. How beautiful is that? And He Himself has promised us the never-ending life of the ages to come. Now He says to them, I've written these things, about, uh, these things about those who are attempting to lead you astray. There's constant pressure on us to believe the wrong narrative, the lie. Buckle, you will fall into this trap. You'll fall. You need, who says you're right? But the wonderful anointing you have received from God is so much greater than the deception that now lives in you. They were deceived. He's bringing truth to them. Now, there's no need for anyone to keep teaching you. So next week, there's going to be no sermon. No, it does, he's not saying that. I'll explain to you at the end. There's no need for anyone to keep teaching you. Next week, actually, you've got Martin coming, okay, from Connections, and he's a very good teacher. About time you have a good teacher, okay, because we're at a family wedding next Sunday. Amen. Neil, that was too loud. That was way too loud. <laughs> Now, now that he turned 74 last week, he's a bit, you know, bachat there, you know? Okay, there's no need for anyone to keep teaching you. His anointing teaches you all that you need to know, for it will lead you into truth and not a counterfeit. So just as the anointing has taught you, those three words there, remain in Him. I had someone contact me a week, two weeks ago. His wife's now left him. And the first thing that came to me is, have you thought how you got here? It didn't happen last week, bro. This has been years of doing it your own way. Disconnected from community. Staying, uh, I have my relationship with Jesus. But you do not align your heart that the flame burns bright in your heart as a community and you remain in Him. Remaining in Him means, like you, if you love the Son, you love the Father. If you love the Father, you love the Son. The same thing, if you honor Jesus, you honor the church. They, are, they come together. They're not separated. Well, I love Jesus, but I don't go to church. Well, then you don't get it. You don't get it. And I'm not saying religiously you hear every single week and you never miss and whatever happens, we relaxed. But we live for Jesus and we align our hearts to Him. Remain in him. I just want to read one other couple of verses from 1 John. John, he writes these beautiful books, these short little messages to these people. He says in 1 John 4, from 3 to 6, he says, Delightfully loved friends, don't trust every spirit, but carefully examine what they say to determine if they are of God. This is crucial in this hour. We say about being the sons of Issachar and knowing the times and understanding the times we live in, we need to discern the spirits. Because many false prophets have mingled into the world. He has the test for those with the genuine spirit of God. They will confess Jesus as the Christ who has come in the flesh. Everyone who does not acknowledge that Jesus is from God has the spirit of the Antichrist. Which you heard as was coming and is coming and is already active in the world. All you're seeing right now is everything against the truth of Jesus. Little children, you can be certain that you belong to God and have conquered them for the one, capital O, the one who is living in you is far greater than the one who is in the world. Greater is he who is in you than he that is in the world, Satan. They belong to this world and they articulate the spirit of this world and the world listens to them. But we belong to God and whoever uh, who truly knows God listens to us. Those who refuse to listen to us do not belong to God. This is how we can know the difference between the spirit of truth and the spirit of deceit. I love the, the end of Hebrews 5. It speaks about the, the power of discernment. 
that you will be able to, it says it's for the mature, that you will be able to distinguish the power, through the power of discernment, to distinguish between good and evil. There's an hour right now we're living in more than ever. John 2, uh, sorry, 2 John, verses 7 and 8 says, Numerous deceivers have surfaced from among us and gone out into the world, people who will not acknowledge Jesus Christ coming as a man. These deceivers are antichrists. Be on your guard so that you do not lose all that we have diligently worked, but receive their full reward. Okay? These verses that I've read here are all reference to the Antichrist who will arise as a figure and the Antichrist spirit that reject God and Jesus and everything that comes with the truth and who they are. Another verse that speaks into this is Revelation 6 verse 2. And if you read Revelation 13, Revelation speaks about the starts of the seven seals, and we'll get to there with the seals on the wrath and the scrolls, all those things that get opened out, the bowls that are poured out. Revelation 6, this, this, one of the seven seals are these four horses that ride in on the earth, and a white horse with a rider is referenced to the Antichrist in that verse. Okay, Revelation, further on in Revelation, it speaks about the rider on the white horse who is faithful and true. Yeah. See how the deception of the enemy, he comes riding in on a white horse to try and deceive those, that's not Jesus. Because the next horse is red, the next horse is blue, and it's all about demonic things that will play out on, on the earth. It's a reference to the Antichrist. Romans 6, the deception. And then Romans, th uh, sorry, uh, Revelation 6, and Revelation 13 speaks about the beast coming out of the sea. That is reference to the Antichrist, this figure that will arise in these days. So this slide here, when you look at the PowerPoint that we put into the Google folder and drive, you can take a photo if you want to. This is all the attributes of the Antichrist as Antiochus Epiphanes was a foreshadow of this person that will arise. All those verses give exact references to these passages and to these references of how this person will be. I encourage you to go and study, go and look at these, go and look at these references from the little horn in Daniel, the destroyer and the persecutor of God's people, the one who receives his power from Satan, he's a blasphemer, he's arrogant and self-exalting, he's a vile person, a desecrator of the Jewish temple, stone-faced, a fierce countenance, a manipulator who uses deception to gain power, and the one who uses false peace to obtain victory. These are all attributes that were trained to uh, Antiochus, but also to the Antichrist that will arise, and the spirit that will play out with these. That's what we have to be discerning of, that we don't fall into the trap and bow to these requirements and these things that people play at us. Okay? <clears throat> okay, now the verses we've read give us a strong understanding. You see that it's not just a spirit, but an actual person. Okay, so the spirit of Antichrist is present, and we've seen that play out in history, like Antiochus IV Epiphanes. Okay? We saw that with Hitler. Okay? And what you saw here with those, just those two guys who lived in very different eras. They were like, you know, 2,000 years apart from each other. Antiochus and Hitler, it was the same process. They were all nice in the beginning. All rallied people, I'm a man of peace. I was talking with Joe on our prayer call. He's a German guy on Friday morning. And I was asking him and saying, like, so in Germany, you know, I was reading stuff about Luther. Luther was so influential in that nation as a German man because he's the one that translated the Bible into German that people could actually read it. And the Bible became like synonymous to the language that people started speaking through the country. It was biblically foundation. But then we, Hitler arose. He built roads. He brought economy. He brought all sorts of stuff. He brought reform in such beauty. And everyone thought this is amazing. And then he turned because of power. And what is his gain? To destroy the Jewish people. Exactly the same as Antiochus. The foreshadowing, many antichrists have already come and gone we might see one still arise in our day, okay? But we have to be aware of the things that we'll see that are coming up in the pattern. See, the final rising, this figure will take place in that the area called the great, the last seven years called the great tribulation, the time of Jacob's trouble, the great distress, and all these things. Okay, that's just a summary of the Antichrist. Now, the big question, where does he come from? Who's he going to be? What nation? What nationality? Is he a Gentile? Is he a Jew? How is this figure going to look? How is he going to arise? 
I cannot give that to you in 15 minutes. It's impossible. But we've got time. Dave Ricketts now doesn't need to know more because he now knows everything. Okay, he's been in clarity. It's not, so if you're here, we've got time. Okay, and we're not going to try and cover this thing. I love the way we started this whole journey of end times in October last year. But it hasn't been tiresome because we've not done it all at the same, like, you're like, you're killing me, Sheldon, like week after week, like I'm getting a twitch because I'm, I can't handle the stuff anymore. We just go in segments, okay? And I know the segments has been a longer one and we've delved deep into stuff here, but it's built into you. I know it has. Okay, so we, we, we see the key verse. We know Daniel 11:36. The end of Daniel speaks specifically into this character, okay? And those key verses that are spoken about are verses 37 and 38, okay? The four main arguments, okay, now what I'm going to do today is I'm going to give you the context of why people say it's Rome, where the Antichrist is going to come from, or has already kind of the Roman nation that, have, that is set up. I, I, can, I don't have time to go into the argument with relating to Islam today. What I feel to do, though, is when we pick this up next time, I'm going to take at least a month, and I'm going to teach you about Islam. And I'm going to give you context and understanding of this religion and understanding of how it works. Okay? In context of today and how we live and how things play out. So there, there are four main areas about the, the Antichrist and why the, 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 the main arguments for Rome. Okay? A few things before I get there. I just want to cover these verses in the end of Daniel 11. It says there are four main things. The Antichrist rejects the God of his fathers. He rejects, it says, the desire of women. He rejects every other God. And the Antichrist affirms and honors the God of forces. Okay, so when it says there in verse 37, he shall pay no attention to the God of his fathers or to the one beloved by woman. He shall not pay attention to any other God. What it's saying there is that the God of his, of his fathers, which he rejects, is basically saying he will reject the God of Israel, but disregard all deities when he considers himself greater than God. Okay, so they, 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 God and the Father means nothing to him. The whole purpose there of saying the one who beloved woman is, is reference to the desire in every Jewish woman that she would birth the Messiah. And as the Messiah rises, he's saying, basically, I'm rejecting that person that gets born. The Messiah, which was Mary, the chosen one. He's saying, so he's, what is he doing? He's rejecting the father and he's rejecting the son. That's what those verses tell us that he will do. Okay? And then it says he will honor the God of fortress instead of these, meaning that he will not worship anything except war. He will be the God of fortresses. He will be a God of war. So he will rise as this man of peace. He will turn and it will be war. He will, and his whole idea of his war is he will annihilate the Jewish um, um, to, uh, religion, which has already been foreshadowed. We've seen it play out in time. This is the final and end one that takes place. Okay. So from these foundational passages that we've read now, there are four main areas where, where the argument of why Rome is the one that stands up. I've got a list of 12 here, which I'm not going to read, okay? This is from a book where a guy, he, he argues this is why Rome is, I'm going to give him these four, and then I'm going to just highlight those 12 afterwards. The first one is Daniel 2's uh, uh, vision, that, uh, dream that Nebuchadnezzar has, and the Nebuchadnezzar's dream of his giant metallic statue, okay? And I'll explain to you how they get to that. Um... Okay, let's go there now. The flow of the statue, okay, as we saw each empire, we saw the head was Babylon, the middle part of the thing was Media Persia, Greece was around the waist, and the legs became, and they make reference to this having to be Rome, because Rome conquered the Greek empire. Okay, basically it took over and followed the conquest from one after the other. So it makes legitimate sense that the, the Romans would be the ones that would conquer the Greece, they would be the next one. The two legs of iron have begun reference to that there was a split in the Roman Empire in around 390 AD. Okay, there wasn't BC, I don't think it is. It's, no, three, sorry, 390 BC. Okay, and they're referencing that the split of the two in the Empire of Rome references the two legs going down into the ten toes that were made of clay and iron. So showing there's these two mingling together, the Roman Empire split, and there's a strong argument that they agree with... with um, with Daniel 2. And then Daniel 2.40 says that giving reference to this kingdom, this fourth kingdom, will crush all the others. So meaning was Rome would crush all these other empires. 
They were brutal in the way they came, and they destroyed every other kind of empire that came before them, and essentially the Greek empire. The second reference is Daniel 7, the vision of the four beasts. Okay, Daniel 7, 23 speaks about that the kingdom will be different from all others. The fourth one that they don't name, it will devour the whole earth. It will trample and break it into pieces, meaning this fourth kingdom will come. So they're referencing that was Rome that came and overtook the Greek empire and they trampled and they devoured and they took over the whole earth and the expanse was so great. Okay, it says in that verse, the beast will be more terrible than the rest, meaning that Rome was brutal in their expanse as an empire. Okay, it says there in, in, in chapter 7 as well, it will be indestructible, meaning that nobody will conquer it. And it says that as time went by, no one essentially conquered Rome. Okay? And it's through the different splits of the empires, different stages and different times. And as we know, this was hundreds of years before Jesus arrived. When Jesus was on earth, the ruling empire was Rome. Okay. The third main reason, okay, is this verse in Daniel 9, 26, that says the people of the prince to come and destroy the city and the temple and the sanctuary. So this reference to this uh, prince that will come speaks of Rome coming to destroy Jerusalem in 70 AD. That's historically, we all know that. I've said that many times here under the leadership of General Titus. It was a few years process, but they came essentially and destroyed Jerusalem and they destroyed the temple um, at that time. So the, the thinking is that the people of the prince to come is referencing to that they destroyed Jerusalem the prince to come will be from the same group of people. That's why Rome needs to be revived. And the prince to come will also come from Rome. He will come back and destroy Jerusalem and the temple once again. Okay? As they did in 70 AD, it will be revived as the final tribulation plays out against, Jerus uh, against Jerusalem. One final main reference is Revelation 17. And Revelation 17:9 says... This is the verse, this, it says, it's, called, it's speaking about the prostitute and uh, the, 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 some say the whore, um, referencing to her of Babylon, okay? Chapter 17 of Revelation. This calls for a mind with wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman is seated. There are also seven kings, five whom have fallen. One is, the other is yet to come. And when he does come, he must remain only for a little while. Don't you love that? Oh, like, oh, now what does that mean? Okay. Rome was named at that time was, and has been referenced and it's in history was known as the city of seven hills. Okay. So they, when they reference in the Bible, they go, it must be Rome. Okay. That it's speaking about. Now, many have come when it says there, there were, there were also seven kings. Now, people have named all the rulers of Rome. Okay. And they speak about the five kings whom have fallen. Now, when John wrote the book of Revelation, it says, he says that the, one, the five who have fallen, the one who is, so they reference to the current king and emperor who was ruling Rome at the time when Jesus and John was alive around that time. And then it starts speaking about the one that is to come, that is speaking about the Antichrist, the final guy that will arise and stand again. So the argument is that he has to be from Rome. Okay, and, he'll, and from a revived Roman Empire, he will come forth. Okay. <laughs> I, let me reference the other 12 quickly. Okay, I want, I want you to see both arguments. That's the only reason I'm doing that. Okay. The fourth empire has to be Rome because Rome conquered Greece. Okay. The one argument is that it speaks about in Daniel 8, 8 and 9, it says that that there will be a, a strong, it, says, it speaks about the southward and eastward area to the glorious land. So if you take Rome is over here, and you've got Jerusalem over here, southward and eastward links you to exactly from Rome to Jerusalem. Okay? Again, it doesn't say that in the Bible, but these are speculative exegesis of what the Bible would say. Okay? saying the, the, the kingdom will not, of Rome will not be conquered by any other kingdom. Daniel 2.40 says the kingdom was un, un, indestructible. Okay, they'll be brutal. The fourth one, Daniel 7.7 7 speaks about being brutal. The fourth empire will split in two. Okay, the fifth one. We've covered these, but there were these, the, that, those are the main four. These are other reasons. 
Okay, the, the empire will eradicate Jerusalem, tear down the temple. We see that in 926, Daniel 926. The empire will be different and especially more savage than evil than the previous three. Okay, and that says that in Daniel 7, 7, the beast will be like no other. Different from other form beasts referring to the Antichrist. The fourth empire is one which deserves to be punished. Under the principle, they call it of divine retribution. Because Rome demolished the temple, Rome destroyed Jerusalem, Rome slaughtered the Jews, and crucified the Messiah, Jesus of Nazareth. So they need to be retributed for the, what they've done in uh, 2,000 years ago. The empire of the Antichrist must be the one um, that his father, the devil, used to assault Christ the first time around. So it will be the same empire that will try and come and assault in the final time. It's the only empire that Jesus offered to vanquish on behalf of the Jews during the 69th week as the empire that would have been vanquished if the Jews had accepted Jesus as the Messiah, which is an interesting, he says they imagine if they had accepted him as the Messiah, what would have played out? I was like, that's quite a thought to kind of have. Rome must be the fourth empire of prophecy. It must therefore return in the 70th week so that Jesus can obligate under Daniel's prophecies and under the moral standard that God has set for the fulfillment of of contracts. That's the 10th one. 11th one, the, uh, Rome will rise after Greece, but it has to be before the crucifixion of Jesus. That says in Daniel 9, 24, that the fourth empire must rise before the crucifixion and be revived for the final week. Okay, and the last one, the final empire, is the one that fulfilled the prophetic blueprint of Genesis 3, 15, by there speaking about he will bruise your hill and stuff of the Messiah. So the same empire that bruised the hill of Jesus will be the same one that will come back at the end. Okay. It's a, it's a very complex kind of understanding, but I want to cover this ground with you. Okay. I, I, if I'm honest with you, I have struggled to find material that, that, that biblically argues the Rome perspective, like strongly. Because I have read information, and I will now break this down to you next time when we cover this, that argues the Islam in relation to Rome with a very strong argument about exactly what I've said to you now. And I'm going to give you both, okay? And I'm not laying my hedges on bets. I have a bias that I'm going to lean towards one way because I want to believe something. I can't, I can't hover and go, well, it could be, could be. And my leaning, if I'm honest with you, is that I lean more towards an Islamic antichrist, okay? Was that a disagreement or a, just a yawn? <laughs> We're nearly done, Matt, nearly done. You see, and you see, the thing, with, the thing with tradition, okay, so now, just to give some context to this, 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 this argument has split churches. Okay, because how are you? It's impossible. And it has to be, you see, the, this is the power of tradition, where things have been set in place. And as I said to you, it's such a huge topic, I can't cover it in all the... I will refresh you next time on the Rome thing, but we must remember this, okay? The position of Rome was set in place with the mere fact that at the time when all these books, like John, and all these were, were written, was a time when Rome was in power. So it made total sense that that was right in front of them, okay? It was obvious assumption, and it was before their very eyes that were alive. Islam wasn't even on the radar. Islam came about in 610 AD when Muhammad had his revelation from, uh, uh, it would say the angel Gabriel, and his enlightenment came, and he, through him, he wrote the Torah. Sorry, not the Torah, the uh, Quran. <laughs> just, just checking. So, okay, now you're awake, now you're awake. Okay, we know the Torah is the five books of the Bible, the truth, the Quran was his enlightenment and the truth that he received. The, that, was, that was 600 years later. It wasn't even on the cards, okay, at the time of something. So we've we got to understand that. So we have the privilege now that we can look back objectively and now look at the geopolitical climate around the world, okay, the politic, political climate geographically with nations around the world right now is vastly different to 2,000 years ago. Okay, so without going along with tradition, okay, we just go along this, that's what's been said, and that's where we must do it, okay, and we look at scripture with history, and hindsight has, a, we have the benefit of hindsight now, to look back, okay, 
But here's the thing with tradition. We don't disregard tradition. Okay, I want to be clear with this. This, this is a powerful method to uphold the standard of truth, and there's nothing wrong with tradition. And there's nothing wrong with questioning and testing tradition. Okay. Because if you, tradition can be very negative, okay, and stand there with very little room for change. I've seen that play out. But just as the Jews saw the Messiah standing right in front of them, they did not see it because of tradition. They were blinded to the way, this is the way it's always been. Who's this guy now who proves to be the son of God? Rubbish, man. This is the way we've all done. That's what tradition does. So there's good tradition and bad tradition. Bad tradition essentially becomes religion. And you try and break the thing of religion. It's very difficult. And the hardest to break. So when you take a, take a tradition that is good, and you break away from a good tradition because of an emotional thing, well, that's rubbish. This is a new day with a modern world, and we have perceptions or even deceptions. You're on a very slippery slope. We don't do it to oppose. We do it to enhance the understanding of what Daniel said in 1136. They'll run to and fro trying to understand what's going in front of us, the, the prophecies that are spoken. See, an example, you say, if you break away from church and say, oh, well, I don't go to church anymore. I'll go to Kirstenbosch Gardens on a Sunday morning, and I hang with my friends, and we have a picnic, and that's church. Okay? You, you are doing that in rebellion, because you are breaking away from tradition out of, on, with a rebellious spirit. Okay? There's the power of tradition of meeting together as a people is a powerful, but we do anything on our own terms. Okay? So I'm just giving you this understanding. Oh my word, this thing. Okay. When we, we don't break away from tradition just because we want to. Okay. We, 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 we're going to study, we're going to look at depths understanding. And the tradition has always been Rome is the fourth empire. Okay. So I know these last few weeks have been like history lessons. Okay. And it's not, that's not normal for the Bay. Okay. I promise you. It's not normal to kind of lay these things down. But like I said to you in the beginning, it's important that we cover these grounds. Okay? I'm going to wrap up here. Because anytime anyone ever teaches you with preaching and teaching, the, the main thing and one of the main things they're going to tell you is application, application, application. So you leave here with application. Now, how do I give you application about the Antichrist and the relevance of Rome? It's a very difficult application. Okay, but what I want to do is I want to go back to one verse that we carry here this morning and we apply this teaching and the understanding when I want to go back to 1 John 2 where he speaks about um, this understanding of truth. He says this, he says, this is from the ESV. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. Okay, and all that we've learned over the last five weeks is all about understanding of truth that is laid down in front of us. There's a spirit that will fight against that. But the anointing that you receive from Him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you, but as His anointing teaches you about everything, and is true, and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in Him. So now we are teaching end times. Why? Because the Spirit led us as the direction of the church to preach this stuff. Okay, we are seeing more and more of the birth pangs playing on around us in the world. We are seeing this great falling away, many just not choosing to run and walk with the things of God, and we've seen an assault on the truth in this last season, as truth has literally been thrown to the ground. That is what it's, Daniel says those words in relation to the Antichrist. And there are those that are trying to deceive you. There's constant pressure to fall into the trap of this worldly narrative. See, so has the key here, what he's saying in this verse. As you abide in Him, you will have the anointing that will teach you. So what is he saying by that? And I joked and said there's going to be no sermon next week, okay? Meaning, here's an example. You don't have to, you don't have, to have me teach you that marriage is between a man and a woman. You know that. Why? Because the truth is in the Word. So I'm not teaching you that. Because of the anointing of the Spirit and the abiding that you do, you know the truth. When I speak about it and I say something about it, it confirms the anointing that's on you through the Spirit that's in you, and you go, yes, in your spirit, there's just an agreement and alignment. 
I'm not teaching you something new. Now, there's many things. That's what he's referring to. Now, I've taught you a lot of new stuff out of the book of Daniel. That's, that's part of the journey. But when it comes to deception of the truth, the anointing is on you that you will not need to be taught what the truth is because you know it. It's in you. And you can make decisions based upon that position that as you remain in Him, you know and understand the truth. Okay? See, when you allow, allow a small little lie to take root, that's when you are giving the door open to the spirit of the world, which is essentially the spirit of the Antichrist, and it comes in and then you have a stand against this truth because we should be encompassing of all people. We should, and you follow the narrative of the world. By a small, subtle, it starts with. That's why abiding in Him and walking in Him is essential. Okay? See, Jesus, in, and these are, these are chilling words, in Matthew 24, 24, He says this, The false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders, exactly what John, and they wrote in the book in Thessalonians, they all heard Him teach this stuff. He says, They will arise and perform great signs and wonders, so as to lead you astray, and if possible, it says there, even the elect... Even the called out ones, even the chosen ones that work with God will even fall and be deceived by these things. Can the reason we're teaching this is that you continue to stand in the midst of adversity, allowing the truth to stand in your own heart. Okay? So as we wrap up here, we've, we've covered a lot of academic stuff. And it speaks into the spiritual stuff of you standing for truth based upon the Word of God. And I want to encourage you today, and we're going to finish with a declaration. We're going to speak out together, yeah? Um, if we got that one ready, yeah. Okay. And I want to encourage those facing pressure to conform to worldly antichrist standards. Okay, because we're not going to kind of kid ourselves, yeah? We all face these pressures. You know, one of the reasons, and this is not a this is not a cowardly approach from me, is that I've chosen never to get my marriage license to be a commission of oaths. Because I knew where this was, when I started leading the bay 10 years ago, I knew where this was going. That if I get my, my marriage license, I will be forced to do something that goes against. Look where it's going now. We're standing, but I, will, I was not positioning myself to be forced to do something that goes against every moral standing of the Word of God. I could have been, but that's not cowardly. For me, that was wisdom, that I wasn't going to fall into the trap required of the things of the world. I used other guys that were marriage licenses that weren't leading churches, and they had ran it as a small thing. They weren't kind of upfront and pressurized to do that. Okay, so it's wisdom we require to stand up against the things of the world. And I want to release wisdom over you this morning, okay, that you know how to stand. You don't fall into arguments. Don't argue with people. Holding your line is not an argument. The fight for truth is a big thing because it's playing out in our world right now. Why? As we've said here over and over again, the spirit of the Antichrist is prevalent in this hour. So let's stand together. If we can do that um, declaration, um, Daniel. Thanks, buddy. Oh, dear. Okay, let's... let's Let's, let's fix that, and then I'll, I'm just going to pray over you in the meantime. But I want you, let's just close our eyes. Thanks, Trace. Okay? And yes, see, the, the test of all these verses I've read today is that we do not fall into the trap of being deceived. Okay? Now, let's just quiet now. Hearts. Close our eyes. And I want you, see, you, you are the one that needs to be truthful with yourself. And if you need to confess, you need to say, Lord, I'm sorry that I have believed the lie. I'm sorry that I've entertained these thoughts of thinking, well, maybe it is. You, you need to repent and confess before Him, okay, in your own heart. Now, Father, we pray that as we come before You, we can come boldly, we can come with a clear conscience. There, there's nothing in our hearts that we know we've been deceived in any way. And I want to uphold that in your hearts here this morning, that the Holy Spirit will awaken that, he will bring conviction to your heart. And you need to now repent of believing that deception. You need to let it go. Speak these words in your mind. Release them over your own heart. And you need to fill it with the truth of the word. Because this is the test that's going to keep arising 
in this hour. And Lord, we say as a people here this morning, we stand for your truth, Lord Jesus. You are the way, the truth, and the life. As your body, we say we will not buckle under political spirits of pressure, under things that we have to afford, have to fall in line with. We uphold your truth because we know where this anti-spirit comes from and it's directly from the father of lies, Satan. And we oppose him. We stand against him this morning and I release courage and strength to every one of your hearts that you are not ashamed of the gospel. You are not ashamed of this truth that releases over your hearts. This is the strength we require in this hour, church. This is what's called of us. And we're going to release this declaration over our hearts now that our eyes are open to see truly what God is saying. And the base scripture is, is Ephesians 1 that says, The God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. You have the key. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that ye, you, may know what is the hope of His calling and what the riches of His glory, of His inheritance in the saints. Remember, called apart, set apart people, we arise together as one. Now let's declare these things as our eyes open. Today I decree that my eyes are open to see what heaven is saying and doing in this important season. I pray that I am filled right now with spiritual wisdom, insight and understanding. I declare that all spiritual blindness confusion, deception, and darkness dissipate and that my heart and mind are flooded with light. I prophesy that I have an understanding like the tribe of Issachar to discern the times and seasons. I declare that any un ungodly ideologies of the world will not infiltrate or control my beliefs attitudes and choices i break the power of every ungodly soul tie and every lie from the enemy that is preventing me from gaining a righteous perspective i say today that truth divine revelation and perception permeate my being and that nothing shall be able to enter my eye gate that is not from God. I place a boundary around my eyes, ears, and thoughts, and I say today that my eyes are open to see clearly according to the Spirit of the Lord. Amen. Amen. Just as we go here, I want Abby just to share a dream that she had last night, which I feel is now relevant to what I was speaking about, right? Yeah. Um, hello. Um, yeah, so. It's on. Go for it, Abby. Cool. So I had a dream last night. Um, it was very short, but very powerful. Um, I saw people um, almost like I was seeing behind closed doors, just different scenes of people, and there was great healing taking place between people and great um, reconciliation and peace and love and just um, relationship being formed. And I, and I saw the words, that's, I saw words um, and they said, a change is coming. So I felt such hope in my heart. And I just kept on dreaming and then I saw the words, <sighs> I'm lost the words now. Um, shout for the city is yours yeah amen amen thank you Abby there's a clear, a clear relevance in that dream there was together reconciliation alignment of hearts the change the church is walking and going through in the season an hour and it's our shout that is the victory amen. it's our shout that stands us together as a united front standing with God. So let's just pray over us. Father, as we go from here today, we thank you for your presence. We thank you for your anointing upon our lives, Holy Spirit. 
that you are the one that teaches us the truth. As we read your word, Jesus, it's alive to us. And I pray everything that's been spoken of these last few weeks would settle into our spirits, would settle into our hearts and minds, and equip us and empower us for the hour and the time that we're now living. So I release over you that declaration that the eye gates of your ears, your eyes, and your thoughts are closed to all the deception, but open to the truth as we stand as a set-apart people in this day and this hour. And I release blessing and favor upon your lives as you go from here. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen, amen, amen. Amen, amen, amen.